Okay. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So it's a long one. Anybody want to read it? Y'all are ridiculous. How old are you? Aubrey. Thank you. Courtney, I was for oh, Courtney. Right. What is it? 31 through 40? Uh, 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also said, and he, and he also had the two talents and four, saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward and saying, Master, I knew you would be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where So I was afraid, and I went and fell in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he who have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lovely. Thank you. Okay, so this is the parable of the talents. Um, the parallel uh, story to this is in Luke chapter 19, where it's the parable of the ten minas, which is the parable of the ten pounds, um, and instead of a man going on a journey, it's a king going on a journey. But I'm doing the talents tonight simply because that's the one everybody knows. And this is the root from where we get the word talent. Right? And I'm sure you've all heard lots of stories on this. You've read about it. And it makes you think about how are you investing your talents, right? Well, it turns out it has absolutely nothing to do with that. So anytime you hear a sermon like that, that's when you just sort of shut it down. But we are going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Um, because indeed God does give us gifts to use. Okay, so um, what uh, is running up to this parable are people are starting to talk about the end times uh, and they feel that it's imminent because this is the point, the tipping point at which um, Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry. And if you look a little bit further, the next one of the little subheadings that comes up next says something like the people plot to kill Jesus <laughs> or something um, very lighthearted uh, like that. And uh, and in Luke 19, the, after the story of the parable of the ten manas, you get to um, uh, the actual the triumphant entry into, um, 
you get into the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And so this is sort of it. And there's all this momentum building up. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And everyone thinks this is it. Jesus is about to walk into Jerusalem and just wreck shop. This is going to be awesome. So much so they got so excited that they lined the roads. And when he came into Jerusalem, they yelled, Hosanna, uh, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They laid their coats down and they, they waved palm branches. And Jesus came into Jerusalem in great, sorry, children, um, uh, in, into uh, great triumph. So he tells this parable to say this is what the end times are going to be like. Well, that puts a whole different spin on how we read this story. Um, the other thing I would say is that um, when we uh, interpret the Bible, uh, when we look at Scripture, uh, my approach is always that my interpretation, and it's never, you know, um, it's always sort of dangerous when you when you go into a Bible study and and someone says ask the question well what do you think the scripture is saying right because the question asks is what is it saying <laughs> right what is it actually saying uh, but at the same time we all bring a certain lens a certain interpretation we all bring something to the table that we we look at scripture through and it's really hard for us I think as Americans to not look at this through the lens of capitalism right. Well, the reason why Jesus loves the other guys is they made money. The reason why they don't like the other guy is because he's lazy, right? Jesus loves people who work hard and put his talents to use and, and reap great dividends. Jesus is a bottom line kind of guy. Uh, make hay while the sun shines. That's not what this is saying. Not at all. But that's the way I always used to look at it because I thought surely this was it. So when we look at scripture, um, uh, there are things that are clearly decisive, but at the same time, we have to come. We have to understand our own uh, sinfulness, our own uh, biases when we come to Scripture. And so, uh, some of Scripture is your interpretation is tentatively final, right? It's tentatively final um, that you could all of a sudden have your eyes open to an important insight, and you say, "Ah, that changes everything." So let's look at this parable. Uh, which was so wonderfully read. I mean, I almost, I almost could just stop right now. It was so well read. The message was conveyed. Um, so Jesus has actually talked about uh, a lot of the second coming. No one knows the day and the hour. He tells the parable of the ten virgins uh, and about flashlights and things like that. And then uh, he says, look, it's, it's like a man going... Now, I'm going to be jumping back and forth between here and Luke 19. So when I start talking about kings and things like that, um, you'll you'll know I'm talking about Luke 19, but they're basically the same story. Jesus is conveying the same point. So a man goes on a journey, and he calls his servants, or in the case of Luke 19, a king is going on a journey, and in Luke 19, he's going to secure his kingship. Right? Um, that's kind of a funny thing. Like, he has to go away to secure his kingship. But everybody would have known what he meant when he said that. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. Okay. Um, <clears throat> in about 40 BC, there was a guy named Herod the Great. He became Herod the Great. At that point, Jerusalem had been conquered by the Romans. And what Rome did is it tried to preserve as much as possible, as much as possible, the local culture and religion, as long as it didn't cause rebel rousing. And the honestly, the only area 
of the entire Roman Empire that was a huge problem from beginning to end was this area. <laughs> right? Really, they were always up to something. And, um, and so uh, it was an outpost. Rome tried very hard to try to, uh, you can go today, the Antononian Fortress is still there, and you can go see that. And, um, and so what would happen is that Rome actually would appoint the kings of Israel. So when we read about when Herod was king, there were lots of Herods, but when Herod the Great was king and he refinished the temple uh, or rebuilt it um, into splendor and grandeur, um, he actually in 40 BC went and visited um, Rome and tried to get Rome to name him king. And he was successful. And so when he came back, he was hailed as king. Uh, well, then his son, uh, uh Anelaus went in about 4 BC to Rome to uh, to be named king, and he was banished forever. <laughs> it didn't work out so well for him. Uh, it was kind of a roll of the dice. You never knew what you were going. And his brother Harold, uh, Herod, Herod, Herod Antipas became king, and he just kind of sat back and did nothing um, uh, in order to secure his kingship. And so it's not that unusual for kings in this area of the world to have to go off to Rome to try to secure their, their... They have a claim, but the only person that can really substantiate the claim is Rome. And so think about it this way. King, this wealthy man, is going on a journey to secure something, and he gives this money to his servants. Okay. Think about that. Um... These servants are, 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 so really what, um, in, in light of that, and in light of the fact that Jesus is talking about the end of the world, when, when, when the world is going to come to an end, this is the question he's asking you. If you know that things might be coming to a radical end very soon, what would you do with your remaining days? Because right, there's an entire likelihood that this guy is going to come back or not come back. <laughs> And not be king. And then what? Right? Then what? Because what he's saying is, look, I want you to go downtown and I want you to open up a rug shop and call it King's Rugs and Stuff. Or whatever it is, yeah. And uh, and I want I'm gonna give you two talents and I want you to open up King's Beer Cave, right? I want you to trade under and the third one, I'll give you one. I want you to trade under my name. Right? I want you to trade under my name. Well, what if they open up these shops and they get word back, hey, your man just got banished. Right? It, and a lot of it had to do with the local flavor, like how people were feeling about this guy in that area. So uh, what he's really asking them to do is, um, I want you to show your loyalty and devotion to me that while I'm gone, and while there's this sort of interim period of you don't necessarily know what's going to happen, I want you to show your loyalty and devotion to me by working and to serving under my banner while I'm gone. And um, Jesus is pretty much putting that question before his hearers. You know, the end of the world, my coming to reign in glory is not happening now. But what are you going to do in the interim? You know, one of the funny things is that there have been a lot of people uh, around throughout the ages who have claimed that the, the end of the world is near, right? Um, and 
I mean, well, I don't know. What would y'all? I mean, within let's let's be um, adult about it. But um, well, I mean, what would y'all what would y'all do if if we knew or we thought um, like the Mayan New Year, right? There was a very, remember that last last. So I was actually in Belize where the Mayan culture is centered, and there's did you know that there's still over a million people who are Mayan and speak Maya in in Central America? Uh, so they're still around. I mean, they're not you know, sacrificing anybody like on that Mel Gibson movie. What was that called? Apocalypto. Apocalypto. So, watch out. So, so I'm down there and I'm talking to them. I'm like, what do y'all think about the end of the Mayan New Year? And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, they were totally oblivious to it. They're like, do you want another pina colada? Yes. So, <laughs> um, so they were clearly, but the funniest one was there was like this, you know how they do like the seven-day forecast? And like, it was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was like, you know, partly cloudy one day, rain showers the next day, and then Saturday had like five million degrees Fahrenheit and fireballs were coming out of the sky. It was kind of funny. So, um, but let's say we knit like, okay, so uh, <clears throat> the Mayans say to me as he serves me my pina colada, enjoy it while it lasts. Because <laughs> it may be the last one you have, right? I don't know, what would y'all do if you knew the end of the world was, was coming on Saturday? For some people it happened on Saturday night. But, I mean, what'd you do? Would you would you sort out the recycling? Would you? I mean, like things that they, sort of your everyday tasks. I mean, you would you would totally like. Who cares? Like, why would you care about the Earth if it's just going to explode into a million pieces anyway, right? Why why would you care about that? Um, one of the I read a report one time that was talking about people who uh, found out that they were their death was imminent, like a cancer patient or something. But when they found out, they were in pretty good health, right? And um, you may have seen the movie The Bucket List, right? Where these guys knew that they were they were dying, and so they made this list of all these amazing things, uh, like climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, swim with the sharks or the Great Bear. I don't remember what they were, but things like that, you know, it, sort of big deal type stuff. And uh, and that was what they wanted to accomplish before before they died. And do you know how many people actually not just do that, but actually desire to do that? Very few. Very few. Most people actually go about their normal lives. Nobody. Very few people actually quit work if they're able to, to still work. They do tend to spend more time with family. Um, they have a lot more perspective. Um, but they just sort of live day in, day out, until finally they succumb uh, to, to their uh, disease. Most people um, don't necessarily throw the towel in altogether. Although I do, like I don't know about you, but as soon as the airplane, when I'm sitting on an airplane and it starts taking off, I start thinking about those things. Like, what am I gonna do when when the plane's when the plane's going down? Like, should I call Lauren? You know, should, I mean, sort of crazy thoughts like that, or you know, <clears throat> or like, well, I want to say what else. like I'm thinking about parachutes and stuff like that, and and um, how to survive the crash from twenty thousand feet. How far? How high are you in an airplane? Thirty two. Thirty two. That's 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 a long way up. All right. So if we fall, it's probably not not gonna happen. Uh, so you know, cheery thoughts to think of next time you're on an airplane. Can you carry on a no, but you know there's one somewhere on the plane. Like some some stewardess is gonna kind of wink at you as she dives off the off the plane. And 
Um, so um, all that to say is that um, well, say, I mean you do start caring, you do stop caring about some stuff, and so you've got this king, this important person, going away on a journey, and he's entrusted these three, uh, these three individuals um, with with this stuff, and he. You know, a lot of the way that, that most people read uh, read this is they think um, when it says um, each according to his ability, and then he he went away. He entrusted to them his property. Nothing is said about return. Like he he doesn't say anything about now. I'm going to give this to you, and and I expect you to make a significant profit of it. In fact, when you, when you read the responses or when you hear his responses, he doesn't say anything about the amount. He's just as happy. The first guy, you know, um, doubles his and um, and then uh, the second guy uh, doubles his, but only, uh, that's the difference, between, but, but, not, but still not as much as the second guy. And, and the response is still the same. From the guy, and he commends their faithfulness, and so he's given them this stuff. And again, what he's looking for is, look, do you do you trust me? Is your is your loyalty enough that even though you don't know I'm coming back, do you trust that I'm coming back? And and when I do, um, what will I find you doing? The actual smart financial decision. Is to put the money in the ground, right? Because let's say the king goes off to Rome and he gets banished, right? All of a sudden, people. This this is exactly what happened in Iran. Let's talk about politics for a minute. Um, so in the 1970s in Iran, there was a big revolution, which is a lot was a lot like the Arab Spring. It was this sort of all these groups that came together. It, it's sort of deja vu. Uh, so it was sort of um, uh, you know, uh, democracy-driven um, young people who wanted to see uh, more opportunity in Iran, and they kind of coupled with uh, the religious people of the day. And of course, what happened when they overthrew the Shah? What would happen? The, the Islamic radicals took over. Sound familiar? And um, and the Shah was trying everything that he possibly could do <clears throat> to secure his power. And it turned out the Shah was dying of cancer. And he ended up being exiled to the United States, which they were very angry about, which kind of led to, if you've ever seen the movie Argo, that, that was one of the things that led to that, that they just wouldn't give the Shah back. And so the king of Iran, uh, the Persian king, uh, the Shah, uh, before he left, was very hard trying to secure the support of the people because that's what really mattered. So he was actually going around and giving people lots of money and and trying to invest in local businesses and things like that. And in honor of that, you know, if you go to a lot of Middle Eastern countries, you see this all the time. Or if you go to if you go this I don't know why it's this case in America, but if you go to a Chinese restaurant, every once in a while you'll see like a picture of the president up on the wall. It's just kind of a, where you go someplace in the Middle East, pictures everywhere, everywhere of whoever's in, in charge. And especially in businesses that the Shah was supporting, they would put the picture up. Well, when the Shah was overthrown, what happened to those businesses? Torched, right? 
torched and a lot of people were killed simply because they were in league uh, with the Shah. And so if you've got a ruler who's kind of, you know, things aren't looking so good, what do you do with the money? You just pocket it and lay low, especially if he's going off, right? If he's if he's going off to Rome or wherever he's going, uh, and if the Shah had said, "Look, I'm about to catch a flight to JFK," and uh, but but trust me, I'll be back. I mean, you could say, "Look, I really hope you do come back because you've been very generous with my family and I," uh, but I, I'm I'm going to have to look out out for for my own. Um, I read a story not that long ago about um, the Lutheran Church in um, Estonia, and I know y'all are intrigued by this, uh, the Lutheran Church in Estonia, and one of the questions they ask people who want to be ordained in the Lutheran Church, they would ask these prospective pastors, um, when were you baptized? And if they answered whatever the date was, if it was during the Soviet occupation, when, the, when it was a satellite state of the Soviet Union, they pretty much moved on and said, okay, all right, and they just kind of bumped on and said, if they gave a date that was after the Soviet occupation, they had a lot more questions to ask. Why? Well, when the Iron Curtain fell, um, uh, they, um, you know, there was, there was a freedom of religion. But you get baptized... Under the, I mean, that you were actually compromising your life at that point. It, it was, it was a significant decision. You were putting yourself out there. You're putting the Shah's picture up uh, in in your shop at that point. And so this is the great, the great length that this king, this man of importance, is going to and saying, "I'm not looking for your success. I'm looking for faithfulness. I'm looking for faithfulness." And so, with the first two guys, um, it's it's uh, it's 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 okay. Um, and he uh, he gives five to, and he gives each according to their ability. Now, let's actually talk about talent for a minute. Um, growing up, I was often told you can be whatever you want as long as you set your mind to it. And as we got older, we found out that was a ridiculous lie. <laughs> right? uh, as much as I would love to be something like a brain surgeon. <clears throat> Like, if you ever open your eyes and I'm leaning over you with a scalpel, like, just <laughs> run. I mean, do whatever it is. Whatever. It's a bad idea, even if I say, look, I know what I'm doing. Um, I don't. I have no idea. Um, and um, there, there are probably things that, that you would uh, have liked to have done, but um, life has a way of working it out where you just, it's, it's not going to happen. And that's okay, right? That's okay. Um, I, I play a lot of golf, and I know that, like, I'm never, like, Tiger Woods, like he has just this ridiculous ability, right? He has a ridiculous ability, and um, and so uh, there are always going to be people who who are more talented than I am, more talented than you are, and you can only chalk that up to God-given ability. Um, so uh, there's there's that. A lot of people will squander that. Um, you've, you've probably, I have a brother who is, you know, one of those jack of all trades, expert of none. Uh, like he can play the trumpet, the clarinet, the, like the whole, the closet at home was like filled with all these in, musical instruments that he's tried out. Um, and he could be like a one man band, but 
he never never really stuck with anything, and so he ended up being a music major. But we all know what that means. Um, you know, go back to school. Uh, but no one here, is anyone here a music major? Shouldn't have said that. Uh, so, um, the joke in our family was, uh, his name is Christopher. We'd say, hey, Christopher, during Christmas break, what's the difference between a large cheese pizza and a music major? A large cheese pizza can feed a family of four. Uh, so that was the big joke. So he was, he was encouraged. He lives in Myrtle Beach. He can handle it. So... Um, that's what happens to music majors. So, but I mean, but the thing of Christopher is, and he knows this. Like he, he has this amazing ability and talent that that I would kill for just musically, and and yet he's just like, nah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so worried about it, and that's not necessarily what's what's going on here. But the thing about it is, is that um, that, that God uh, has has given us certain abilities, certain talents, and and He expects us to use them. Right, he expects us expects us to use them, uh, but it's not so much measured by success. Like God doesn't say at the end of the day, "Well, Tiger Woods, you needed to win just a couple more golf tournaments," or Christopher, you needed to master the Glockenspiel, or or whatever whatever it, it is that week. That's that's not that's not what what God is saying. In a sense, it's almost like there was uh, there's a was a famous preacher in the late 1800s named Charles Spurgeon in London. And he pastored a, a gigantic church. And back then, not now, but preachers were the celebrities of the day, right? I mean, the whole art of oratory and things like that. And, and everybody went to church in England, and it was a big deal. And so Spurgeon uh, had a huge church, and um, he was a rec- he was a very ugly man. Uh, you can look it up online and see him. Uh, and so he was a known character in London, and he was walking around St. James, which is where all the men's clubs are. And he was walking down the street, uh, coming upon the door of a men's club, and uh, a gentleman had thrown his half-smoked cigar out. And there was a little boy about nine or ten years old who saw this guy throw it out and picked it up and began to, to puff on it. And he looked up and he realized he was standing in the shadow of Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon was looking down at him. And Spurgeon, with his preacherly voice, said, Young man, can you smoke that cigar to the glory of God? And the little boy said, No, Mr. Spurgeon, I can't. And Spurgeon says, Well, I can. Give it here. Uh, Well, it's a little bit like that. That no matter what we do, we do it as unto the Lord. That there's a sense of that what God has given us, he expects us to invest for his kingdom here on earth. And so I hear a lot of people say, Andrew, what you do is so much more important than what I do. And that is just horse manure. That's total horse manure. And because God has gifted you and called you to where you are. And what you do is just as important in the kingdom of God as what I do. We just have different functions, right? I mean, it, it, I mean, yes, it's true. I get paid to read my Bible and, and, and do what I'm doing right now to an extent. But um, I wouldn't recommend getting into ministry for money. Um, it's a little bit like being a music major. And, um, uh, but, uh, but um, it is very much, especially at the time of the Reformation, it, it, it was about um, the church being people who had all these kinds of gifts and abilities and putting them to use. So whether, I mean, your ministry is, is what you're doing, whether you're an accountant or whether you're, you're managing money or, or whether you're um, polluting the world with oil. Uh, just kidding, Charlie. Charlie works for mobile. 
uh, or whatever it is. I mean, but uh, you're, you're, you're doing it is, is unto the Lord and you're actually in ministry and you don't have to be ordained to do that. And so there is that extent. And a lot of people will say, well, I'm not that, I'm not that good at anything. I had a lady who I preached on this parable once and, uh, well, a couple times, but at, at one time I preached this parable and this lady came up who I thought was pretty gifted. Um, she was active in the church and she came up to me and with tears in her eyes and she says, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that God has gifted me with anything. I don't think I'm particularly good at anything. And I was taken back by that. I said, surely, surely God has gifted you with something. I mean, what, do you, what do you really like to enjoy? What are, you, what are you good at? And she said, well, I make really good lasagna. And I thought that was the funniest thing. And so I started laughing. And, and the next week, I got a lasagna. And it was the best lasagna I've ever had. And you know what? Anytime in that church there's a birth, a death, Grandma's birthday, I don't care what it is, she's Johnny on the spot. She makes lasagnas non-stop. And she's famous for it now in Beaver. She's like the, she is the lasagna lady is what we call her. She's a lasagna lady. And like how many people have been, like people link that. Like I remember we had the baby and you brought us a lasagna. Like that's, like it's a vivid memory for them and she's blessed them and it i mean i mean and how special is lasagna not it's not special at all and yet god can even take lasagna and do something significant with it so for all you lasagna people out there don't make me one uh but you see what i'm saying you whatever your lasagna talent is um it can be used to bless people it can be used to bless people and that's all Jesus is asking. He's not asking for you to be successful. He's asking for you to be faithful. And so when he comes back, he says, now after a long time, everybody's thinking, is he ever going to come back? He actually comes back and he settles accounts with them. And he, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying excitedly, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him the same exact thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. So he doesn't look at the person who says, you know, well, you make really good lasagna, but you gave $50 million to the church. Better worse, right? Jesus looks at that and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man. Now listen to this jerk, a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now, this, this cuts both ways. On the one hand, there is still, to this day, in the Middle East, a Bedouin culture. And in Bedouin cultures, to be called a thief is actually a compliment. And what it means is that, I mean, for Bedouins, and it's not, they don't do this anymore, so it's not like if you're in, you know, Sinai that you have to worry about, like, Bedouins raiding, you know, your, your, your tour bus. But, um, maybe. 
but, uh, but they still do it in other ways, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, but the, the whole thing about being a Bedouin is you take what's not yours, and that was a sign of power. Like, I don't have to work. If I want something, I simply take it. Now, l- technically, that's called thievery. But for the Bedouin, like that's called power. That's called being in in control. Today, now what they do is they have they um, they offer you camel rides in the wilderness in Judea, and um, and then they tell you how much it is after you get off of it, and they just place you so settle up front and and stick to your stick to your guns. So um, so that's how they rate you now. But um, so on the, but. But the culture in which Jesus is talking to is still primarily an agricultural. Like almost uh, tons of his illustrations have to do with agriculture, um, and and here um, one of the things is that this servant he's got a couple things going against him. He's totally misjudged the master. He's misjudged the king. He thinks that he's a hard man, and what he demands is success, and that is not what the master has demanded. He's not. I mean, he didn't demand it when he t- spoke to them up front. Uh, but really, again, what the problem is, is this guy was hedging his bets. He was like, he might not. And he, after a while, he thought he was probably free and clear, like he'd been gone for a long time. Jesus went out of his way to say that uh, he might uh, he might not come back. And so um, I'm just going to do my own thing. Um, but what Jesus is asking these three guys is he's saying, are you willing to take the risk? And openly declare yourselves to be my loyal servants during my absence in a world where many oppose me and my rule. And not only does this guy say no, he begins to formulate his own view of what the master is like. Right? To justify his bearing of the talent. Right? This happens a lot, um, where a lot of people will come up with lots of ideas about who Jesus is in order to validate the decisions that they make in life. Uh, and, and it cuts it cuts both ways. And not just about Jesus, God in, in general. And so, um, you know, on, on one extreme, you have people who say, um, if I blow myself up in a marketplace, I'll go to heaven immediately. Right. Now, that's clearly not a biblical idea of God, and, and I don't know of really very many Christians uh, or any sort of significant subset of Christians who would say that. Um, but you still do have Christians who will say and do awful things to people because of a certain idea about God. Right? I, I remember when I was 16 years old, I was visiting my grandfather who had gone off his rocker. Um, he started signing his letters, Love Bob. I'm like, uh-uh. That ain't gonna work. Uh, but I went to visit Bob, and um, and I stayed in the guest room. And in the guest room, there was a picture of Jesus laughing, just throwing his head back and laughing. It's kind of a quasi-famous uh, picture of Jesus, a pencil drawing. And at the time, I was reading. Uh, I was going through. First uh, and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, I remember vividly. And, um, and if you've ever read any of those books in the Bible, pretty intense, lots of battles. God is doing a lot of smiting of, of individuals and people groups. And, and that a great thing for a guy to read. I mean, it's it's pretty good. Um, and and yet, um, what I had done is I had put. I had actually projected onto God this idea that God demands perfection, which he does, right? His standard, his holiness 
has the standard as perfection. Uh, but what I what, what I was projecting on him is that that he has very little room for mercy. He gives mercy to people who deserve it, but he doesn't give mercy to those who don't deserve it. Right. And that picture ticked me off. And I got into a huge fight with my grandfather because he would say, well, this is kind of the Jesus that, that this is how I think of Jesus. Now, on the one hand, he loved it because he was using it to, to justify his, his Looney Tune life. Right, because he thought that just I was laughing at him, but but I didn't think Jesus was, and I was also t- and I was ticked at the picture though because I was. It turned out we were both wrong. <laughs> it turned out that we were both. Of course, Jesus laughed. Of course, that's who Jesus is. It doesn't capture all of Jesus, but it's just a, a little vignette. But I find myself often being drawn to parts of Scripture and attributes of God and Jesus that make me feel a little bit better about myself. Um, and it's when I know that I'm doing it that it becomes a real problem. Right. So in in college, um, when I would date a girl, and by date I mean y'all, if you were in the Greek system in college, I mean you needed a date like every weekend for some sort of function or so. So it wasn't like your date. But um, but I would at, I would often ask girls who were who are not Christians, and and if it went beyond the function, my Christian friends would be like, you know. Are you, are you, are you, it sounds like it looks like you're kind of getting serious about her, but I don't, is she a Christian? I'm like, uh, well, she's she's really searching right now, and she's she's so spiritually attractive to me, <laughs> which meant she's smoking hot. Are you? I mean, I'm willing to kind of, you know, God will understand. Um, uh, and and so I would just come up with this total ridiculous comment about why it was okay for me to do things, and even now. Um, you know there there is a um, there is a passage in the Bible uh, in Thessalonians that says if you don't work you don't eat. And I tell my children that all the time. And uh, it is, and what Paul is saying is is that in the community, if people are taking advantage of other people's charity, that's a problem, right? Uh, it doesn't apply to four-year-olds. Um, uh, and in general, what we know is that is that God feeds. The hungry, right? God feeds. That's that's his property. And his property is to have mercy, especially on people who don't deserve it, right? People who think that they deserve mercy end up getting what they want because those kinds of people want justice. They cry for justice, but be careful what you ask for. And so this guy has this crazy idea uh, of Jesus. Another Jesus that gets thrown around is, is sort of like, Jesus will never, ever, ever judge you, right? Well, he's got to judge you at some level, otherwise there's no room for mercy, right? If he just says, "I love you," but there, but there's no, I mean, his love becomes that much more powerful because you know in your heart of hearts that you're unlovable, or that you, what you've done has not actually merited his love for you, but he loves you anyway, right? That's what makes his love powerful because you know you don't deserve it, but. He's justified when he judges, right? As David said in the Psalm, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, uh, he's righteous in his judgment, uh, and that's why the Psalm says, uh, "Righteousness and peace have have kissed, right? Righteousness and mercy have kissed. That the two have actually come together in a perfect way, where Jesus totally undoes you with 
with the standard of perfection. I mean, you get absolutely just broken down because you realize I'm undone. Um, but then immediately picks you back up. It's totally counterintuitive. Picks you right back up and says, but I love you and I'm going to establish you. Um, rather than this sort of wimpy, Jesus, you know, was skipping through the field with flowers all the time. And um, I mean, there are some, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is who he is, right? And um, someone asked Spurgeon once, you know, don't you feel like you need to do a better job of defending the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he said, not really. He said, I just kind of preach it. It's sort of like you just kind of open up the lion's cage and you let him out, right? Doesn't need defending, right? You just let the lion do his work. He, he goes out. Um, and um, um, you notice that at the end of the day, when Jesus, uh, who is the master here, um, he settles accounts with them, uh, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't ask how much you've made. When it says settle, he looks at the books to see how much business has been transacted. Right? Are you are you serving me? Are you in fellowship with me? Are you in a relationship with me while I'm yet away? While I'm yet away, or are you playing uh, the angle? So. Um, to bring all this to a close, uh, this, mu- this, this is not about, um, it's not primarily about uh, God has given you a box of noodles and some marinara sauce. Will you make lasagna? Will you, will you be successful? Uh, it's not about that, but uh, it is partly about that, yes, God has endowed you with certain gifts and certain giftings. And um, I should draw a distinction. There are spiritual gifts that God imparts through the Holy Spirit, and those are gifts for believers. And then they're just natural abilities that that, that people have. Um, uh, so there are both of those. Uh, but that's part of the story. But above all, the thing that Jesus is trying to convey is, is this. Look, I'm going away for a long time. Uh, you won't see me. Uh, my presence will be marked by my absence. And you will, will long for me to return. I mean, I don't know about you, but just, just today I was saying, I was in the middle of something and I just said, Lord, if you want to come back right now, that would be great. <laughs> that would be very convenient if you could come back right now. Um, he didn't. Um, uh, uh, we know not the day nor the hour. Uh, but the question is, um, what do we do with this relationship that, that we that we have with them? Are we walking in fellowship? Are we looking forward to the day um, like these two guys, the first two, who looked with great anticipation to be able to show their master, look at what we've been up to. Not success, but but faith. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who sort of hedge their bets and think of Jesus as something that he's not and, and just take their talent and, and put it in the ground uh, thinking, well, maybe things will work out. Uh, maybe things won't, uh, and at the very least, I can I can get it out of the ground and present it to him at the end. Jesus says something very funny when he says, at the very least, he, he turns it back on the guy. This sort of Bedouin insult. He says, you know, well, at the very least, then if that's if you think I'm a hard man like some Bedouin, if you think I'm a thief, then you should have put it in a in an interest-bearing account, and at the very least, uh, I would have had my interest. Um, 
But here's why that's funny. Jews don't believe in interest. So, which means this guy was religiously devout. Right? This is a religious guy who never in a million years would have thought of doing something like that uh, because it was uh, against uh, the Old Testament law to protect, to protect against extortion is why it was there. Um, but it cuts both ways, of course, um, whether you take a loan out or whether you're investing. Um, but regardless, here was a guy who, who was religious and would never have done something like that. And so outwardly, he, he was conforming to things. Uh, but really, he could give a rat's rear end about the talent that, that the master had given him. Just couldn't care at all about it. And so, uh, in this interim period, uh, before Jesus returns again, uh, here you have a God who is, uh, who is faithful and looks forward to seeing us and, um, and looks to us uh, to be faithful, which means to be in relationship with him. Uh, and sometimes that's really hard. Uh, especially, I mean, because one of the questions that normally comes out of something like this is, okay, Andrew, uh, I know God wants me to be faithful, um, but I make cogs. Every day I make cogs at the factory. How, how is that a ministry? <laughs> how can I turn cog making into a ministry? How can I make an audit, which everybody loves to be audited? And how can you make an audit into a ministry? How can you make uh, whatever, uh, into a ministry. And you would be surprised. Uh, you would be surprised. Uh, I don't mean, you know, signing all of your emails. This is the day that the Lord has made. Turn or burn, suckers. You know, not, not that. Um, um, or, you know, or dear faithless talents receiver. Um, you know, <clears throat> it's not what I'm talking about. But, but, but here's the thing. If, if you, if, if you really, if that truth is sunk down deep in your heart, that you know that what you're doing is for Jesus um, because of what he's done for you, whether you see it or not, it makes a difference. And people see that. And, and people will, will know that. Um, now, it doesn't necessarily mean that people will say, you know, um, again, kind of going back to my brain surgery idea, um, I want to invest with you because you're a Christian. Now, that, that's probably partly true, uh, but you probably want to invest with the, burst, with the best person you can invest with, right? If, you know, I think I've used this example before, but do you want, you know, the surgeon who graduated last? I mean, but that's kind of true. What, what do they call the guy who graduates last from medical school in his class? Doctor, Doctor right? So uh, do you want that guy standing over you with the scalpel, or do you want, like, Mayo Clinic, fly him in, top-notch guy, and the one guy graduates less says, but I pray before I, I cut you open. Right? You're like, I'll take pagan doctor behind door number two, right? You don't care. You just want, you want the best you've got. Uh, and um, I'm sort of undermining my point here, but, uh, but nonetheless, um, you, you, do, you do see a difference uh, in, in the strangest of ways. And especially if you work in an office culture, uh, you'll see the difference. Because most people who are not Christians in an office culture think that they're, if they're not Christians, they're, 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 the spectrum is, I don't care. I really don't care about faith. Um, I'm kind of interested. I'm, I'm open to it, as attractive as the Christian who's in the cubicle next to me is into it. To, um, to the far end of, I think that Christians are all crazy. And I don't know about you, but well, I guess I could say this even about my office. Um, there are some Christians in people's offices that you're like, 
you're the reason why people hate Christians, <laughs> right? You're just, you're mean, you're, you're not nice, you, you, uh, you think that you have the same idea about God that Andrew did when he was 16 years old. Like, no slack whatsoever. I'm going to crush you if you step out of line. And what I demand is perfection. And this person thinks that they can actually be perfect. And yet that's not what Jesus is asking for here. Jesus is just asking for a relationship and to be faithful. And so on that note, I will end. Questions, comments, concerns? That's it? All right. Do y'all have crazy Christians in your workplace? You might be it. You might be the crazy guy. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, some people are are really overtly. Um, I mean, I don't have like. I, I guess if you come into my office, you can. Like, I don't have. I mean, some people do it in small. Like, they have a little verse a day on the thing. They used to have these silly little mints called testaments. Have you seen them? So they're like little mints with crosses on them, and you would like. I mean, maybe someone became a Christian through through their fresh breath. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to belittle that kind of stuff because there was a. I was at a conference one time and somebody was uh, dogging gospel tracks. You know, you've probably seen them in, in the in the bathroom on a counter or something next to the sink, and um, at a restaurant. And he was just like, I mean, gospel tracks. I mean, can it get any worse than that? I mean, who's ever been converted by a gospel track? And there were like 500 people there, and one guy raised his hand, and it was like. And like all of a sudden, that that speaker looked. Not only did he look stupid, he looked like a jerk uh, for for belitt- And although that's that's not my my thing, gospel tracks. But the thing that uh, the formula for for seeing people come to the Lord is one, ultimately trusting, just like in your work, that God's in control, uh, and that He's working in that situation through you. Uh, but two, just like in the Bible, relationships. It's, a, it's about relationships. Like, how did the disciples become followers of Christ? They followed him, right? <laughs> they, they were in a relationship with him. He, he invested in them. He, he talked to them. And um, he had lots of hard conversations with them. And you never know what's, what's going what's gonna to flip uh, the switch um, wherever, wherever you happen to be. Okay. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this little parable, and uh, we pray that you would guard our hearts uh, against reading it in a way that is not meant to be read. Uh, But Lord, that what we would walk away with is your great faithfulness uh, to us and for us, and Lord, that you long uh, to bless us and uh, to give us greater things. Uh, Lord, that we would be faithful in little things and honor you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.